well, in Exodus chapter 1, I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of Satan's plan for Israel and for the church. And uh, Brother Craig has read the chapter for us, and we'll look at some verses as we go along this morning. The book of Exodus is the book of redemption. It means the way out. The Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. It's the book of deliverance. When you talk about redemption, redemption involves people, and it involves names. When we're redeemed, our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. Amen? When you start out verse 1, it says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel. So God puts down some names of people that are going to be redeemed. In the first part of this chapter, he talks about God's plan for us. God's plan for the Israelites, his plan for our lives. And then in the last part, he deals with Satan's plan for Israel and his plan for the church. God's plan is revealed in some ways in the, in the book of Exodus and the life of Joseph. And we're going to talk about him again tonight. But as we think about Joseph, he says in verse number 6, And Joseph died and all his brethren, and all this generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. You know, I hope that the Lord can say of us that we are fruitful, and that we increase and multiply, and that ought to be the desire of us as Christians and as a church. But in this chapter, Pharaoh represents Satan. And Egypt in this chapter is a picture of the world, as is true throughout Scripture. Egypt is a picture of the world. Israel in this chapter represents the church. And so Satan had a plan. And by the way, God has a plan for every one of us, but I believe Satan has a plan for us too. And we have a choice of which plan we choose and which plan we follow. But I want you to notice in, in the first part of the chapter, he talks about God's plan, the mystery of God's plan for our life. And the honest, simple truth is he is God. And as we yield our lives to the Lord, we let God have his way in our life and let him control and lead our life. And God doesn't have to always explain everything to us, does he? How many of you ever had something happen in your life and you didn't understand exactly what was going on? How many of you are there right now? You got some things going on, you know, God doesn't have to explain everything, does he? But we still trust him, don't we? We still know he's God. And we are human. We're not God. And as human beings, we are inherently selfish. And and we want things our way. And part of the Christian life is doing just the opposite. It's yielding to God and doing things God's way and letting him have his way in our life. Then he talks about the revelation of God's plan. He took Joseph from the bottom and put him on the top and and just worked through the life of Joseph. And, and, And then Joseph accepted God's plan. And one of the big things that Joseph did in his life was he rejected bitterness and he rejected discouragement and he followed God's will and God's way with a right spirit and a right attitude. But you know, whenever you try to do something for the Lord and try to do something God's way, the devil always comes along with his plan. In fact, oftentimes the devil gives his counterfeit 
right before God gives his best. So it's important for us to stay in tune with God and stay close to the Lord and know what God's will is and not just what we want and what our will is. Satan had a plan for the children of Israel. God's plan is to bring them out of Egypt, but Satan had a different plan. And I want you to notice what his plan was. First of all, his plan was to deceive them. His plan was to deceive the Israelites. In verse number 8, it says, Now there arose up a new king over Egypt that knew not Joseph. Joseph has been second to Pharaoh. He's been great. He's been up at the top. But now he's passed away, and a new Pharaoh is there. And verse number 8 says, He said unto the people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Now don't forget that. The Pharaoh said, the people of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Now remember I said Satan's plan is to deceive us. Pharaoh didn't want the Israelites to know that. They were more and mightier than the Egyptians were. And God doesn't want, or Satan doesn't want you and I to know that we are more powerful with God's help than Satan is. He goes on and he says in verse 10, Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us and so get them up out of our land. Now when Pharaoh is trying to deceive and Satan's goal is to deceive, Pharaoh didn't want them to discover, as we saw in verse 9, that they were more and mightier than Egypt. He didn't want them to know that. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us this. It says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome the world, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, Satan doesn't want us to know that we can have victory over sin in our life and that we can have victory over the problems and the difficulties in our life. He wants us to think that we are weak and failures and can't do anything. God says, wait a minute, I want to remind you, you have somebody inside of you that's greater than he that is in this world. And we can trust the Lord, and we can rely upon his strength, and that's what the Apostle Paul said. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I what? Made strong. And when we understand, yes, we are weak, but we've got God's power and his Holy Spirit and his strength, and we can have victory, and we can overcome the devil and the enemy in our life. But Satan wants to deceive us. He wants us to think we can't. There's no hope. There's no way. God says we can. In fact, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. And then secondly, Israel was free. Pharaoh's deceiving them. He doesn't want them to know that they are free. Goshen was given to them. They're living in the land of Goshen. In verse number 10, it says, Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. They had been given the land of Goshen. Go back with me just a couple of chapters to Genesis chapter 47. And look at chapter 47 and verses 5 and 6. Joseph's brothers have come down to Egypt and they've now met with Joseph and he's told them to go back and get their father and their brothers and bring them back their sister along with them. And verse number, verse number 5 of Genesis 47 says this. It says, And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brethren are come unto thee. The land of Egypt is before thee. 
In the best of the land make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen let them dwell. If thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, bring your father and, the, and your family down. And he gave them the land of Goshen. They weren't slaves. They were free. They were to live there freely. And they were to grow and serve and multiply and so forth there in the land. Again, Satan's goal is to deceive us. He does not want us to know that we are free. He wants us to think that we are still in bondage. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 8 and verse 32, God says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth. The truth was the land had been given to them. They weren't slaves. They were free. The truth was they were more and mightier than the Egyptians. They could have overthrown them if they wanted to. But Satan wants us deceived into thinking that we are bound by sin and we can't have victory over sin. There's no hope, but there is hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third thing I want you to notice is Israel became enslaved because of ignorance. Satan deceived them and they became enslaved because of ignorance. Look at verse number 6 again. It says, Joseph died and all the brethren and all, the genera all that generation and the children of Israel, notice what God says about them. They're fruitful, they're increased abundantly, they multiplied, they waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new Pharaoh, a new king of, over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto the people, behold, he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, deceptively deceiving them lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they fall, there falleth out any war, they join also unto the enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. The devil wants us to be ignorant of who we are and what we have. Pharaoh wanted the Israelites to be ignorant. He didn't want them to realize they were more and mightier than the Egyptians. He didn't want them to remember that they were free and they were given the land of Goshen. And so they're, because of their ignorance, they're in bondage. You know why we struggle with failure in our lives and addictions and yielding to sin and, and not having walking with the Lord day by day like we ought to? Oftentimes it's just simply a matter of ignorance. We are ignorant of what God's Word says. And we're ignorant of what is available to us. And we're ignorant of who God is. When you think about our great and mighty God, we have at our disposal the power of God in our life. Jesus said to the disciples when he got ready to go back to heaven, he said, all power is given unto me, unto Jesus. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said, I have been given all power. Now you go and take that power and take the gospel to all nations. We have God's power. It's available for us. But too often times we've allowed Satan to deceive us into thinking that we have no power. And then secondly, I want you to notice that Satan's plan was to dominate them. He wanted to deceive them, then he wanted to dominate them. He wanted to control them. Verse number 11 says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And that's a principle that's still true today. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. You remember what happened to the church in Jerusalem in the New Testament? In Acts, I think it's chapter 4. 
It says, they that were persecuted went everywhere preaching the gospel. The persecution is what caused them to scatter and go everywhere and preach the gospel. They had come to Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. They had 3,000 people saved, and they kind of wanted to hang around there. This is a good place. This is a wonderful thing that's going on. But God said, no, I want you to leave Jerusalem, and I want you to go to the rest of the world and take the gospel. And so they weren't willing right away to do that, and so God brought persecution and affliction, and they were scattered and went everywhere with the gospel. The gospel went to the world because of persecution. We, I think, in America are headed towards a time of persecution. We already see some of it in America. But it may be we have been so blessed. You know, we talk about the Bible and we, we're, we're getting involved in the Pashtun project and, and we talk about non-published languages or non-published people groups and so forth. And most of us have, how many of you have more than one Bible? Let me see your hands. How many of you have more than, how many of you have five Bibles? All right. Quite, how many of you don't know how many Bibles you have? All right, okay. I, I, there are people around the world that have no, no Bible in their language. It may well be that God brings affliction and persecution on America to cause us to go with the gospel. Wednesday night I was there in, in Florida and had the opportunity of hearing a, a young man from the Philippines. And God saved him and called him to preach. And now he's a missionary in Cambodia. He went to another country and he's serving the Lord there and, and, and taking the gospel there. And, and the Philippines right now is a country that's very open to the gospel. Many people are coming to the Lord. But God is sending, the, sending Filipino people out to other countries around the world. It used to be America was number one in sending out missionaries. We're not that now. I think we are, the last I heard, I think we were like number 17 of the countries of the world that are sending out the gospel, sending out missionaries. God may have to send persecution and affliction to get us out of our comfort zones to take the gospel to the rest of the world and to do what God wants us to do. Satan wants to dominate us. He does not want us to go do what God wants. He wants to control us. And so what did Satan do? Satan broke their spirit through suffering, which they could not endure. He broke their spirit through suffering, which could not endure. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. That word rigor means harshness or cruelty. These were cruel people. They were making them serve harshly. Verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor, with harshness, with cruelty. Satan broke their spirit through suffering which they could not endure. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Christians fail to distinguish between trials from God and burdens from Satan, they always develop bitterness. They always develop bitterness. And Satan wants us to believe that the suffering that we go through and the harshness and the problems and the struggles are God's fault. And he wants us to blame God. People sometimes will say to me, they'll say, well, you know, how could a God of love let a little baby be born with a, 
with a deformity or let a baby be born uh, without the mental capacities or, or whatever. And, and immediately they want us to blame God. Why would God allow that? But where did all sickness and disease and death come from? It came from sin. It came from, from Satan. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, that was the beginning of suffering and disease and all of that. It wasn't God that brought that into this world. It was Satan. But the devil loves to get us to blame God for what Satan is doing. And when we do that, we become bitter. Trials from God will always draw us closer to God and make us better. Burdens from Satan drive us away from God and make us bitter. And so if you're finding yourself becoming bitter, you can usually stop and say, that's a good indication this isn't from God, this is from Satan. Satan wants to dominate us and control us and control our thinking. Let me give you an example. If you go over the Ryan in Cincinnati after midnight, and somebody comes up behind you and stabs you with a knife, is that going to make you weaker or stronger? It's going to make you weaker, isn't it? But if a doctor takes a knife and performs surgery on you, what's he trying to do? Make you weaker or stronger? Make you stronger. You see, the devil wants us to blame God for what Satan is doing in our life and cause us to become bitter. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Don't let the devil get you to the place where you blame God for what the devil is doing in your life. Look with me to the book of James. Keep your finger there in Exodus. Go over to James, almost the end of the New Testament. Look at chapter 1. These are verses that you're familiar with. Look at chapter 1 of James, and verse, beginning with verse 13. James chapter 1 and verse 13. You got it? Say amen. amen. All right, the eyes have it. All right, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Now notice what he says in the next verse. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't be wrong on this. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing in our life comes from God. Every evil thing in our life comes from Satan, the devil. And he wants us to blame God for the bad and give him credit for the good. Sometimes we do that too. Matthew chapter 18 has a lot of verses. I don't have time to go into all of it, but... You know the story that's given there about the man who, who owned a large sum of money, millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay, and he came to the, to the master, and he said, he, he, I, just give me some time, and I can pay it, and he forgave him the debt. And then that man went out, somebody owed him just a little bit of money, 
and he wouldn't forgive him and he had him thrown in prison. God forgave him, or the, the master forgave him of a great debt, but he wouldn't forgive somebody else of a little debt. And we have to be careful in our lives. Things happen to us. People do things to us. Things are said about us. Things are, and if we aren't careful, we'll get bitter and forget that God has forgiven us of a great debt, of our sin debt that would mean we would spend eternity in hell forever and ever. God's forgiven us of that. And God says, then we ought to be willing to forgive those who have those little debts that are sinned against us and done against us. Sometimes people will say things like, well, thank God for my messy divorce. I know God's going to bring something good out of it. Or thank God, my son is away from the Lord and he's been immoral and God's going to bring some good lessons out of that. And people thank God for things like that, but yet they become bitter. Satan gives us burdens and deceives us to accept the trials, to accept those burdens as trials from God. Those are not trials from God. And you don't give in, you stand up and you fight against them. Pray a hedge of thorns around your son or your daughter who's away from God. Pray a hedge of thorns around your, your, around your spouse that is away from the Lord. Hosea was told to go back and find Gomer, and, and, and he asked God to put that hedge of thorns to hedge her up. I remember a man some years ago, I was pastoring, and just before we came here and started the church, so it would have been in the late 70s, a man came to me, he was in our church, and his wife had left him. And uh, he, came, we, he came to my home and we were talking about it. And I said, let's pray and let's ask God to put a hedge of thorns around her. And so we prayed together and asked God to put a hedge of thorns around that lady. And I think it was within three or four days she got, came back home and made things right. You see, God is powerful. And we don't have to give in and give up. We can ask God and... God will help and God will work in our lives. There's a third thing I want you to notice, and that is Satan's plan is to destroy us. His plan is to destroy us. Look at verse number 15. It says, And the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Sifra, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of the midwife, and let me just stop and say this, you get names Sifra and Pua, you know, if I'd asked you before we started today, if you ever heard of these two ladies, most of you would have said what? No, I have no idea who that is. But God saw fit to put their names down in the word of God. People are important to God. Names are important to God. He cares about us. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. In verse 16, he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women... See them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall what? Ye shall what? Kill him. If it's a boy, kill him. If it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. You see, Satan's goal is to destroy us. That's still his goal for us today. I want you to notice that Satan can't take away your salvation, so he'll try to take away your fruitfulness. 
He can't take away your salvation. When you get saved, you become a child of God. God gives to you everlasting life. He gives you eternal life. If it could be taken away, it would not be everlasting or eternal. Amen? It would be temporary. The devil can't take away my salvation, but he can take away my fruitfulness. He'll try to bring temptation in my life and bring bitterness and things in my life that will keep me from being a good testimony to other people that will draw them to the Savior. He'll try to get me to do things that will destroy my testimony. He does not want me to be fruitful. And so Satan said, kill the boys. Why kill the boys? Because they're going to grow up and be soldiers. So you get rid of the boys. Satan wants our teenage guys. He doesn't want them to become soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, he wants the teenage girls too. He desires our children. He wants to destroy our families. He can't take away our fruitfulness. He can't take away your kids, but he can sure destroy their testimonies. And we must do everything we can to keep them in the right path in the right way. You know, I've been a, preacher's, been a preacher for over 50 years now myself. I was raised in a preacher's family. I said oftentimes I've gone to church since, since I was nine, before I was nine months born. You know, nine months before I was born, I've gone to church. That's all I've known all my life. I've seen through the years families that have carelessly raised their kids and sometimes careless about even going to church. I think we ought to have our kids in church every time the doors are open. That's hard to do if you're not there, dad and mom. But here's the thing. That's not what's going to have the greatest impact on your kids going to be what you do in the home. Do we take time with our kids to read the Bible and pray together? Do we take time to teach them the principles of the Word of God? You know, we're in an electronic society, and when kids are just very, very young, the electronics makes a good babysitter. Amen? Or oh, me? And we let the world raise our kids more than we do. I pastored for three years in Roanoke, Virginia before we came here and started the church. And there was a man in our church who was a good man, godly man. In fact, God called him to preach and he started a church probably about 30 miles from where we were. His name was Johnny Basham. Johnny Basham owned his own excavating company. He ran those bulldozers and all that stuff, and he had arms, forearms like Steve Garvey. How many of you remember Steve Garvey, the baseball player? And I think he's running for, for uh, Congress, I think, now out in California. But, but Johnny also raised dogs. And I had a German shepherd, Vicky and I did, and, and, and sometimes that German shepherd, I mean, he was so friendly, he'd run up to us and just jump up on us. He could put his paws on your shoulder. And Johnny said to me, he said, Tim, he said, you can, you can fix that. He said, when he steps, jumps up on you, he said, all you do is you just step in and gently step on his back feet. And he said, it won't take very many times and he'll quit jumping up on you. You know what I figured out? We spend more time and effort training our dogs 
than we do training our children. And we're missing the boat. We're losing our kids. The devil wants to destroy them. And Satan's aim and Satan's goal is to turn us into spiritual eunuchs to cause us that we'll not have any fruit, that we will be fruitless. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, The thief is come but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. The abundant life comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and from following him. And so that brings me to the last thing, and that is divine deliverance. God wanted Israel to have divine deliverance, and he brought it to them. And he wants us to have divine deliverance in our lives as well. What looked like despair and hopelessness became a great victory. It became a great victory. Look at chapter 2 with me of Exodus and verse 24. Here, chapter 1, Pharaoh is telling them they're greater than us. Let's give them this bondage and let's put them in slavery and work them cruelly and harshly. But at the end of chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, And God heard the groanings. Could I ask you a question? You're going through a trial, a problem, a struggle. Have you made any groanings to God about it? Could I say, I'm guilty too often of groaning to everybody around me instead of to God? Amen? But God heard their groanings. And God remembered his covenant. God will never forget his word. He'll never go back on his promises. God always keeps his promises. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. God didn't forget they were his kids. He didn't forget that he had chosen them, that he loved them. He had respect unto them. Then look over at chapter 3 with me, beginning at verse number 1. The next verse, verse 25 of chapter 2, God looked upon them and had respect. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1, and Moses kept the flock of Jethro. So here's all this going on with Pharaoh. And meanwhile, chapter 3, verse 1, Moses kept the flock of Jethro and, the, and his father-in-law, the priests of the Midianites. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even in Horan. Horeb. Just stop for a minute and listen. When Israel's going through all their trouble, at the same time, God's already preparing for their release and deliverance. And we must not forget when we're going through our struggles and trials, God's already at work in our situation preparing the answer. Remember when Abraham, well, you won't remember you weren't there, but you remember reading about it. Remember when Abraham went up on the mountain and he took Isaac with him and he offered him? I heard a preacher one time say, while Abraham was going up on one side of the mountain, the ram was going up the other side of the mountain. The one that was caught in the thicket and the one that they took to, as the substitute. While you and I are going through our problem over here, God's over here working on the situation. 
And sometimes we forget, we think God doesn't hear me, God doesn't know, God doesn't understand. No, if you're his child, he knows exactly where you are. He knows what you're going through. In fact, the Bible says the steps of a good man are what? Ordered of the Lord. He knows exactly what he's doing. Secondly, Israel's only weapon was prayer. God heard their groanings. And I think those groanings were to God. They were crying out to him in prayer to the Lord. And he heard them. And he answered their prayer. And the power of Satan was broken through prayer. When they cried out in verse 23 of chapter number 2, it says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto who? To God, by reason of the bondage. Their weapon was prayer. Your weapon and my weapon is prayer. How much are you praying about the situation that you're going through? How much are we praying for our children? How much are we praying for our husband, our wife? How much are we praying about the problem that we're in? The early church had a lot of problems, didn't they? I talked about the affliction and persecution that came, and they were scattered everywhere, went everywhere preaching the gospel. But what was the answer to them? Their answer was prayer. Peter was arrested. He was thrown in prison. And in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Peter's in prison. What's the church doing? They got together and said, hey, we got to have a prayer meeting. We better pray for Peter. And they prayed. You say, preacher, do you think they thought Peter was going to, God was going to answer their prayer and was going to release Peter from prison that he wouldn't be killed as John was, beheaded? You think, you think, you think they thought God would? No, they didn't think God was going to. They were just like you and me. They doubted what God would do. Because when the angel delivered Peter and brought him out and he knocked on the door, and you remember the girl came and she went back in and said, it's Peter at the door. They said, oh, it must be a, you must be having a dream. It must be a vision or something. They didn't believe. How many times have we prayed and we didn't really believe God was going to do what we were praying about? But sometimes he did it anyway, didn't he? Remember the man that said to Jesus, he said, Lord, I believe. And then he said, help thou my what? Unbelief. I must confess to you, sometimes I have to say, Lord, I know you can do it. Help my unbelief. Amen? Sometimes we know he can do it, but we don't believe he'll do it for us. Or he won't do it in our situation. And our best weapon that we have against Satan is prayer. To pray and to take the word of God and use God's word. David said, that word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God is powerful. Do you know that Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were saved and the Holy Spirit came upon them, it was a result of prayer. They'd been in the upper room for, what, 120 days praying. And God prayed. God answered. But I found this to be true also in the Bible, and that is this. God often limits himself to our prayer. Sometimes God doesn't work because we don't pray. James said, ye have not because ye what? Ask not. 
Sometimes God doesn't do things because we're just not praying about it or we're not serious about it. We're not willing to take the time and we're not willing to, to fervently pray. Look over at the last book of the Bible and we'll be finished in just a moment. Look at Revelation chapter 12 with me. Verse number 11. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Many of you know this verse. It says, and they overcame him. They overcame Satan. Verse number 9 says, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Satan, the deceiver. And it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame him. Verse number 12 says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Rejoice. We can have victory. We can overcome. And that comes as a result of our prayer. And, and we come back to the blood of the Lamb he talks about and the word of their testimony, their faith that they had in God. And God gave them victory. And God wants us to have victory. But he doesn't want us to become bitter and blame him for what the devil is doing. Pharaoh was putting all of this burden and pressure on them. That wasn't God. And the devil is putting a lot of burden and pressure on you. Don't blame God. Don't get bitter. You keep looking to God and trust Him and pray. And God will help and God will answer. Satan wants to deceive us. He wants to dominate us. He wants to destroy us. But God wants to give us divine deliverance and that always comes as a result of prayer. Let me ask you a question in closing. Is Satan deceiving you today? Is he deceiving your children? Is he getting us to blame God for what he's doing? I had a man one time, I witnessed to him a number of times. I still remember one night I went into the house. He had a fireplace there. And he had a poker, and he was poking the coals of the fire in the fireplace. He's, he was in a wheelchair, rolled that wheelchair up to the fireplace. And, and I'm sharing the gospel and talking to him about going to heaven and warning him about going to hell. And he said something like this. He said, but all my friends are going to be in hell. And that man did not get saved, and I witnessed to him. Other people witnessed to him. He moved away. And then I got word that he passed away, and I asked one of his family members, did he get saved before he died? And they said, yes, he did. And I said, they said a preacher where he lived down in eastern Kentucky came to see him. He had known him, I think, from childhood, and he said he trusted Christ as his Savior. I said, well, why didn't he get saved all that time? You know what he said? He said he didn't get saved because his dad wasn't saved. And he said, if I die, if I get saved and go to heaven, I'll never see my dad again because dad will die and go to hell. That is deception of the devil. In hell, there'll be no friendships. The Bible says it's a place of outer darkness. There's weeping and wailing. and There, there would be a dad, if that dad went to hell and that son went to hell, there'd be a son who would be blaming his dad for not telling him the truth and warning him. And You understand, there's not friendship in hell. It's a horrible place. Satan wants to deceive us. It's not going to be a party. 
If the house across the street was on fire and we walked out of church this morning, we'd run over there and tell the people, get out of there, the house is on fire. They're not going to sit around the kitchen table and say, well, let's have another drink, let's party a little bit, but oh, the house is on fire, it's okay, we're going to have our party. Some people think hell's going to be like that. It's not. Satan deceives us. Is Satan dominating you? Is he controlling you? Is he controlling your thoughts? Is he causing you to say there's no hope, there's no way? As long as there's a God, there is a way. Is he destroying you? Is he destroying us through the electronics? And it amazes me. I, I, I meet young men from time to time who struggle keeping their job because they spend, sit up all night long playing games on, on the Internet. Hours and hours. And even good Christian people spend hours and hours that are just wasted time that we could be using for the Lord. Satan's destroying us, but God wants to give us divine deliverance. Will you pray? Will you ask him? Will you trust him? And will you not blame him for what the devil's done in your life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the example of the Israelites and Pharaoh.